We Got the Geek is recorded before a live studio audience. All right, well, uh, I'll just introduce myself real quick. My name's Jay. I'm here from the We Got the Geek podcast, and this, of course, is Mr. Pat Broderick. Hello, 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 hello. Oh, there we are. Now, actually, I'm real curious. We talked a little bit downstairs, and you mentioned a new project, and I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I'm working on a project for um, um, First Comics slash Devil Do Publishing uh, with Peter Gillis. Uh, they're relaunching their original Shatter comic book, which was the first computer-generated comic book that was published back in the 70s. And uh, they're relaunching it. It's a different character, of course, because they killed me, thank God. And, uh, well, it's protection for me, I get to create the new one and then reap all the rewards. <laughs> uh, and real excited about it. Uh, along with the job came uh, uh, game design for a game presentation that they're pitching the uh, product with. And also um, Kenneth Levine is the owner and he's also the producer on uh, the Preacher TV series, so he's also actively pitching it right now. Oh, cool. So, and I'm on the uh, third, I got a six-issue contract, so I'm on the third one, finished my third one now, so I expect to be done by uh, probably in November. Oh, cool. And, uh, and I think, I heard rumors that he's thinking of uh, publishing a uh, summer convention special to promote it. So it might be out by August. I don't know. That's great. Look forward to seeing that, actually. Now, uh, I was also telling you downstairs, my favorite thing you've ever worked on was Captain Adam uh, back at D.C. in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about working on that series with Carrie Bates? Uh, yeah. I, um, if you're familiar with Captain Adam's uh, history, I am also a Steve Ditko fan. Captain Adam was first... Uh, 50s created by Dicko and Charlton. So uh, when DC picked up the uh, Charlton character properties, uh, Dick Giordano called me up and asked me if I would do the Captain Adam book. He didn't know that I was such a huge Dicko fan. So yes, that was like uh, an Easter egg for me. I'll take the job. And read Carrie's script and we had a complete new um, view and creation of it again. So uh, started working on that and saw a pretty decent run on the series, I think almost three years. Well, did you design the, the silver seat yeah, yet? Yeah, oh, yeah nice. I designed the silver one. Uh, I wanted to keep it as simple as possible, yeah, quite frankly, because a lot of the costumes and characters that are being designed at that time and later on were quite intricate in design. And I felt that a, uh, a simple design would make him stand out in the crowd. You know, so. Nice. In preparing for this, I reread for the first time in many years uh, Batman Year 3. Mm. And uh, great story, beautiful artwork. Uh, what are your recollections of working on that one? Um, you want the true story or you want the... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable with. Okay, well, I was offered that job and I wouldn't have turned it down because it was the uh, continuation of the year one, the year two, and the year three. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I was also working on Green Lantern and doing... Uh, fill-ins for projects that were in trouble to complete this and get it to the printer. You know, so I actually had to do uh, four books that month, and it was a huge workload. You know, also, when, uh, and I know this is truly just a typical Denny O'Neill mistake, because we love Denny, but he, he said the books are bi-monthly. And it's like, DC hasn't done it bi-monthly in years. He said, yeah, it's bi-monthly. Well, Denny, I guess, didn't understand the difference between bi-monthly and twice a month. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so 
so on top of having my ongoing Green Lantern series I was working on, uh, fill in on, uh, I can't remember the series uh, title, uh, Joe Staten uh, was working on it and had to leave the book, so they needed like four issues done because they were violating their contract with the printer and they were going to be fined, so get it done. And um, it put me on a lot of pressure. I did a lot of work for about three months. I mean, you know, it probably was easier for Jack Kirby was used to a high production line. I was I'd never gone over two books, you know, and three pages a day oh, maintaining, wow. you know, to meet that schedule. So. But it was fun. John Beatty did a wonderful job making it. I thought it was a really good story, and I got to create or be listed as the creator for the Tim Drake character. So, yeah. and I just found out that I got a, a special thanks um, bio on the Captain Marvel movie at the end of it. So oh, I said, "Oh, we got to find that." Like, yeah, special thanks. We got to find. Oh, very so, cool. Yeah, so, and. That's it about the year three, yeah. Oh, cool. Now, I don't want to hog the conversation. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, that was... Three pages a day and two books a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked weekends, too. I did, I did, yeah. Okay, well, let me give you the whole story. I started in 1973. <laughs> Broke into the comics from uh, high school. I uh, actually went up to uh, New York, and they had a uh, fourth annual, or no, I'm sorry, a July 4th comic book con in New York at the Commodore Hotel. So uh, uh, DC Comics was uh, sponsoring a contest called the Junior Bullpen Contest, and if they selected you, they, you, they brought you in-house and you worked uh, slave labor rates uh, at, uh, doing art corrections and things. So and that's how I broke in, and uh, it started from there. Um, got to do my uh, famous uh, content stages for the family-sized books, so those occasionally come across my desk. Uh, one came today, I asked my wife, I said, uh, what were you doing in 1974? Because I dated my piece. She said, well, she was 19. And, uh, so I was here in New York working. Uh, um, and that's the nice part about it. You occasionally get to see stuff that you've done. Now, of course, 50 years, so it's a long time back now. But, uh, Occasionally, books come across my desk that I completely forgot that I drew to. Questions? I'll keep going then. Um, one of the first things I ever read that uh, you worked on uh, was from 1980, I think, uh, the Justice League 200. Uh, uh, what was the like? Annual? I, I think it was like the special. Special, special issue when yeah. they reached issue 200? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the reason I got that job was I was already doing Firestorm. Okay. So I did the Firestorm chapter right. with Martian Man, and it was really nice to do. And I had Terry Austin in me, which was uh, great. Yeah. To have, so. And um, I was solidly into Firestorm by that time. You know, okay. In the series. And what would you say uh, is the project you've worked on that you've been most proudest of? Um, Lords of the Ultra Realm, uh, Doom 2099. Yeah. I really okay. wanted to uh, hit a five-year milestone with a book without it being canceled or you know removed from it, and that was the one that came the closest to just three years plus. But definitely Doom, Doom 2099. I enjoy sci-fi more than superhero. Truly, I enjoy horror more than superhero. I wish we were in Europe, okay? <laughs> but you make your living off what's offered, so. Which is why I got to draw cops and Captain Planet. You know, a lot of uh, the license work. Yeah, I was watching 
What's your relationship between you and some of the uh, anchors? Who are some of your favorite and maybe some people you didn't work so well with? I don't remember the ones that didn't work so well with. Uh, I know they're out there. And I wouldn't say anything bad about them. <laughs> favorite anchors was uh, Bruce Patterson worked with me for a long time with Manny Todd, so we uh, adapted a style very well together. And also, um, oh, John Nyberg, John Beatty. Um, John not only did year three, he did the first three issues of Doom 2099 also. And, um, Bob Smith followed me a long time in D.C. My Batman work, and I believe my Captain Marvel work. I'm sorry, Captain Adam. Yeah, okay. I believe Captain Adam work. Cool. So they're the three anchors that stand out. And then I started anchoring my own stuff, too. So yeah. but I'm too humble to say that. I'm my favorite. <laughs> some of your uh, the writers uh, how much instruction the ones that you work with the best um, and if you don't want to say names which is fine um, some of the ones that didn't work out so well as far as do you like too much dictation do you like the script format more like what yeah. what do you work with best the two uh, <coughs> formats mentioned is like uh, plot format which varies also between the two companies and full script which also varies between the two companies. Uh, an example, Marv Wolfman would give you a panel by panel, action description, uh, character in motion, and dialogue. And so it was all nailed down. Uh, Doug Munch would give the same thing, but where he would give you so much more meat in the story. A plot for a 20 page book for Doug would be about a 60 page type plot and we break it down, we need to break it down. And uh, I worked with uh, like Bill Manlo, uh, the writer on the Micronauts when I was on. Bill's plots would be about three pages for the 19 pages, but he concentrated more on uh, jumping from action to action to action, giving a little bit of the dialogue and he would just let me run with it. Uh, Jerry Conway on Firestorm, we plotted in conversations over the phone. We started out with just written plots, but after, I'd say, about six months, it was just phone conversations, which uh, told me he felt confident, you know, we could just do it from that, which <clears throat> was, uh, I'm a Sag, okay, so it's like, you know, so we would discuss things, and due to the unique relationship between Ronnie and Professor Stein would leave uh, gaps in the uh, plot that I could drive a semi-truck through so I would do it, you know. Uh, and point of case, uh, he had Ronnie in high school when the professor initiated the change. And, you know, it always takes place in a surprise for the person who hasn't initiated it, just feels it coming on professor could be in the middle of an experiment or something after an hour off or something. I decided that Ronnie had to be in the shower in the locker room, you know. So it caused Jerry to also applaud a little bit because at the end when they separated, you know, Ronnie's standing there soaking wet with soap bubbles all over <laughs> in the middle of Manhattan. So I liked having that freedom to throw a curveball at Jerry and watch him pick it up knock it out of the park. And it was fun doing it that way. It was. Um, right now, I'm working with Peter Gillis, and Peter is an excellent writer, whether he's writing superheroes or prose or anything. He's just a very, very good writer. Uh, so his um, scripts are... Um, he allows me room, yeah. Um, so I'm able to, he might end the page at one point, but the action might spill over for half a, half a page or so into the next page, and I like clean breaks, because part of the comics is you have that 
point where you flip the page. So when you have the scene finished, theatrically it's like curtain closed, open curtain next scene. So I like to structure my books that way. Yeah. So I'm able to adjust it, cram a little bit here, giving larger panels that he can uh, explain his uh, backstory with the dialogue. I'm dealing with two personalities with the character much like the Ronnie Rango ones that there's a firestorm, but there's no floating heads this time. Uh, what I'm doing is um, reflections in the mirrors and stuff. So when one character, if he's talking to himself mentally, and there's a mirror in the room, the image in the mirror is the other character. So I'm trying to throw these things into the artwork in a more subtle fashion. And I'm having fun doing it that way. I don't know if he ends up sticking a balloon over it and covers it up or whatever. But, you know, I let him know that the stuff's there. Even uh, reflections on the character's uh, shoulder pads and stuff. Because uh, I'll play off a camera angle and set the camera angle up so that you're dealing with the reaction shot, but what is he react reacting to, right? But if you look into the scene, you see another scene, and that's what he's reacting to. He's on location. It's a crime scene. You know, but you don't see the victims and stuff until you look what's reflected on it. So I like doing that kind of stuff now. Oh, cool. And I don't know if it'll be effective or not. But I think that's brilliant, uh, if you don't mind me saying. Um, <laughs> I love the comic book. You actually already alluded to my next question, the last part of the comic book process besides the editors. Did any of the, uh, the letterers ever cover something important that you did in the background? Uh, no, I leave, uh, I go, I work traditionally. And then, uh, I mean, I've studied art and design traditionally. And every panel you have the uh, um, vision of thirds, even if you break it down. So I know to leave some area within that division for the dialogue. Now, before I went to school, I didn't know about that. So I was constantly frustrated about where they would put the balloons. But I didn't realize that I wasn't helping them. So after uh, getting a degree and started teaching um, storyboards for cinema and stuff, I saw how it better translated into comics. And so uh, I found that I was able to leave plenty of room for dialogue elements and also had better control over the eye movement from panel to panel by using the cinematic method. You know, uh, I told the young guys, I said, when you start a line of action, don't cross that line. I said, just because the panel order goes from right down to left, you start reading again. The scene within, you're still carrying the same direction of action. So try not to break that, you know, because it does funny things in your head. You have two things, you know, going together like that. Though that's effective if you know where to use it. Car crossing a train track with an oncoming train, but you switch it and have that conclusion. You know, you either make it across or you don't. So there it works. Um, so things like that. That's what I'm bringing more to my art now, you know, than I did earlier. I don't remember you ever using the arrows to tell us to go from panel to panel, uh, which <laughs> that was that was that was famous back in the day. Um, Oh, so I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. I don't recall that. I hid it in the art. <laughs> I would put. I would design the art in certain cases where the uh, negative space would form an arrow. The colors colors it up. He doesn't see it, but I know I put an arrow there. You know, so it's there in your brain when you're looking at the piano. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm talking about like the blades. I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was really like if you can't direct what if you can't direct them through the story you got to put a panel somebody didn't do something right you know so it's a panel layout <laughs> that, to me that's like one of the defining features of an artist is the panel layout um, so you were mentioning school where did you go to school um, and when did you go to school in between it sounds like you started comics before you went to school yeah yeah I uh, this is fun because I always explain this to my students also. I said uh, a creative career may have three to four different careers within that. So I started out in comics and I went to advertising. I worked in advertising for like seven or eight years. 
interested. I went into education based off of uh, life experience with the uh, agreement contract signed that I could get my degree there at the school while I taught. So I got my BFA at the uh, Art Institute, and then I was also teaching at the uh, IADT and Art Institute, but it's still the same subject matter. So I found that the education improved my art. So I, you know, it's like, I would get so frustrated with students that we just walk in and breeze through the class. You know, it's, it's just, first of all, you're paying 300 something dollars for that class for that week. And you're just breezing through it, you know. And then you're going to be upset at the end of the semester when you get your grade. So, but those are the fun challenges of teaching. But that's, that's the way it was. I got my education later on in life. Yes? Uh, yeah. yeah, well, they, um, you all follow, um, like, the economy in America. Okay, when the, uh, the Fannie Mae loan program, which was back to student loans, got in trouble, they started restricting the requirements for signing the students, which, of course, started the less number of bodies enrolled. So when you're an adjunct, they hand out their classes in order, uh, according to the number of students they can sit in that class. So if they don't have enough students. So I went from full-time teaching to uh, one school closing entirely, you know, and then the other one cutting back drastically to where all the um, full-time employees, employees like the chairperson and the department head were also teaching the classes on ground. They let all the adjuncts go. So at that time, it's like, I'm back in comics again, you know, so, yeah. But that, it was a good learning experience for my students to tell them, you know, because it's like, so many of them, it's like, if I could just draw X-Men or Spider-Man, I'm set for life. And it's like, ha, you are so naive. <laughs> <laughs> because one editor might like your stuff, and they change editors. He wants to bring in a new team. He does, it does not matter if it's good. If you did a good job, you're out the door. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. You've worked at both Marvel and DC. Can you describe how you would fit in and how it felt with you? Like, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to say you had a better one, but mm -hmm. just from us perspective, we don't know. We don't work there. Yeah. But you're normally a DC guy or a Marvel guy. So, yeah. how was it working with those two companies, I guess, is what I'm asking. Um, probably have heard this before from other people, but DC was much more management control driven, like an advertising agency, you know, I mean, structure, authority, answerability, and whatnot. And Marvel was a much looser ship. Uh, I guess, to be honest, say I like the freedom, didn't like the restriction because of the paranoia annoying us. There's a lot more cooks in the kitchen that are going to see this and approve it. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, I understand and appreciate both. You know, um, I think um, DC being owned by Warner Brothers so long is what you know set that up for them. So yeah, it's amazing that Marvel has done as well as they had on their own. And uh, today, I mean, quite literally, we can't get any work from them. They are not giving us work. So don't know if uh, that has anything more to do other than the age of the editors that they're hiring, basically. You know, it's a different era. They would rather review our work on, um, online at uh, DeviantArt you know, than interact with somebody. Being a fan of Ditko, were you uh, aware of him through his horror or through his Spider-Man? Uh, first, it was Spider-Man. Yeah. I was, yeah, 63, so I was, uh, I think, about seven years old. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. And then discovered. His horror stuff's great. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's the realization that, like, these are comics, these are cool, and then you read them, you love them, and you what? It's like, what? 
there were comics before these comics? <laughs> I must like, sign them. It's like music too, right? Yeah. You find a man you like and yeah. you go back and see what they inspired yeah. them too, right? But we didn't have comic book shops back then, so it was really hard to find. You know, usually barber shops would have a stack of books on the side, yep. and then you'd find old issues. Did you ever get to meet Steve Ditko? No, unfortunately, no. no. He was very reclusive. Yeah. Uh, I actually got to work on some Ditko pages with Wally Wood on uh, The Stalker, uh, which was great. And Wally fired me because I didn't do my job right, but it was okay. We worked in the studio, and it's like, you out and you in, let's see how you do. You know, and the studio was Neil's studio, so great while he's here he needs help we didn't line up at the door that aspect of it was nice for uh, the time when I broke into comics I did get to meet uh, a few well known people now you know that were just fun crusty old guys <laughs> <laughs> come on guys you got a question? All the characters that you've drawn, who's your favorite to draw and who's your least favorite? Uh, mm. Multiplex character, Firestorm. Least favorite. Okay. Having to draw 50 of the same guy in the same panel as he's multiplying and fighting. It's like, uh, you know, if only you had to draw other than right, you would create characters like that. Um, and probably the most fam uh, favorite was uh, Doom 2099 because that's when I started really playing with the reflections and the stuff in his armor and things. You know, so I had to... Plus, it was a new world. You know, I got to do modern, futuristic architecture, but yet maintain the true aspect that ancient architecture would still be existing in the city. So it would go down the street, modern buildings, and suddenly there would be one, um, Freemason built. You can see the Freemasonry stuff in the design and whatnot, so it's like, it exists now, and what's this building doing here? It's like, come on guys, you've got 2,000-year-old buildings in Europe right now. You don't think there's going to be 2,000-year-old buildings in 2099, you know? So, um, but I didn't, I mean, they change things, but it was just, you know. I was talking to uh, Lance Hamrickson last night, because I told him, I said, you know, did they ever do a final episode of Millennium? And yeah, so I loved him on that, and he said, no, they haven't. But uh, when they changed the direction of the whole show, he lost all interest in it, and that's why he had left it. So I told him, I, said, I totally understand that it does happen in comics. When a new writer will come in, they can just good example of Warren L. Uh, Warren L. was taking over Doom, going to completely redirect the whole thing. It's like, I don't want to do it that way. You know, it's like, you've got all these plot threads out here that you need to tie up. We just kill them. Well, they're good characters. You know, well, we just kill them. You know, like, so it didn't last that long with Warren. thought that there was seniority on a book yeah. and whatnot, but it, the reality sets in it works the same. It's like, who's the favorite? So it doesn't matter. I want him in. He wants to make changes. He do the changes. Or I get another artist. So. That's the way it was. Has he ever turned down a job because he thought your art style would suit it? Or you just want to draw the characters? Like, you're well known for your science fiction based stuff, right? Like, did he ever get offered Conan or something like that? And you're like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to draw that. I've never said no to a job. Oh, really? Okay. I've never said no to a job. But I'm a freelance artist. Yeah. And I'm married, raising four boys. I never said no to a job. That's the way it was. I did 
say no to advertising work. Okay. Okay, because uh, I worked for Tracy Locke Advertising in Texas, and about three years back, uh, one of the art directors called me up, wanted me to do uh, a storyboard push for their client because they needed 10 storyboards done in color at their office on Mondays, and this was Friday. And whereas younger, I wouldn't say no to that because I know that there's like 15 frames to the board, 150 frames, I'm getting $125 a frame. Yeah, I'll do it, you know, <laughs> and work all weekend and do it, you know. But I didn't want to do that again because if you become known for that, which is why he called me, you know, and I just didn't want to do that anymore, you know. Thought of staying away three or four days straight while you're working, even if you're gonna make ten grand, it's still, you know, it's just not worth that. Um, so yeah, I said no to that, and to family. You know, yeah, get the request. You need to do portraits. And it's like you got nine kids, John. <laughs> Your brother's got six. See where I'm going with this? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do the portraits. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. Um, do, uh, do you uh, mention that you have freelance? Do you wish you preferred to do the security? Oh, no, I prefer security. the security, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also worked at a game company for a year before. Um, for, for a good year and a half, and I love getting paid to draw, you know, so it was nice to have the job to go into and a set amount of work every day, and we get to discuss what uh, concept designs they need, just sit and do nothing but creative drawing, you know. Uh, it was the same way, I've worked on the Jimmy Neutron movie, so it's the same structure, you go in and you have to set number of things you have to create and get paid at the end of the week. Best thing about working for somebody is you don't have to chase your money. You know, and freelance, you know, you sometimes have to chase your money. Thing about 
all the art was interchangeable. Now you can just, you know, yeah. And I don't know. They, they've always been guilty of being in love with the hot book, and so they would want to establish a house style, you know, and draw like this, you know, for your book. And it started long before Jim Lee or, uh, you know, like Blythville and them broke into the industry because they were trying to get us to draw like uh, John B. Sema or more, make it look more curvy-ish, you know. So we fought against that, at least I did, you know. It's like if you want me to draw like Jim Lee, then hire Jim, you know. And occasionally I would say things like, you know, Whoever's drawing excellence is going to be a star. Yeah. <laughs> so if Jim wasn't drawing excellence, he'd be a really good storyteller and doing really fine comics, but you'd be telling, draw it like the person's drawing excellence. So, you know, and you can't blame him. You know, the success they attained with the sales during that time. So you never used anyone else's layouts? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, uh, layouts is like learning design. You know, so you look at it and you break down the design and see how they did it. Um, if it works with your scene, go ahead and use the design. You don't have a... Alfred Hitchcock doesn't have a copyright on his set design layout and camera approach. You know, so if it works there, you know, you use it, learn from it. I don't know how many students do that, you know, or you are, so I don't know how many would do that. Um, I don't know if you've seen my recent work or even my old work, uh, but I told my students in school, it's like, um, the monster Frankenstein is not Frankenstein, okay? I mean, literally, but even the whole sense of it, the laboratory, the castle, the time period, town folks with the burning fish horse. That all makes up Frankenstein. You know, so do me a picture of Frankenstein. And there you go. So, God, what does he want? Well, I just told him, you know. It's like you got to capture the essence of the era that exists now. And it's the same thing with comics. Backgrounds, locations, very important. I don't see a lot of that. Put it in mind. Yeah. Was there ever a character that you didn't get a, a chance to draw that you wish you would have had a shot at? Yeah, everyone's thinking of a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm uh, feel really good for like George. He's reaping the rewards of a long career right now through media, so it came at a good time for him. And I'm very happy. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have created a cyborg, you know. Um, I created a lot of characters that they used. And surprisingly enough, uh, it seems like the secondary characters in the storylines are the ones that appear in the series, you know. Um, but I'm not so naive to think that it's going to run like this for another 40 years. It's going to burn out. I mean, uh, very curious to see the new X-Men movie to compare it to the earlier X-Men movie and what they're doing with it because the ownership's changing hands and you know, isn't going to do as good a job or whatever so, you know, and I haven't even seen the Swamp Thing yet and they canceled it yeah, you know, so like, why bother except all that need too bad you know. it's a uh, it's an interesting world. You know, they they always will go where they feel the money is, and if you happen to be lucky enough to be along the ride to facilitate that with them, then it's great. Yeah, the so dour. What characters have you created that you're most proud of? Oh, really? Yourself? Um, what, what inspired them? Well, like Doom 2099, I I was so intimidated doing Doom because the last time he had his own title, the last artist that was on that title was Wally Wood, and Doom 
so iconic, you know. Um, but the fact that they allowed me to create not one but two costumes for him was wonderful. You know? um, like I said earlier with the uh, Captain Adam, I like keeping it simple in appearance. Um, but I really had few opportunities to create a new character, you know, from get go. So uh, if they do anything with the new interest in the Atlas Seaboard characters that have sold the media, then I can see where there might be a Planet of Vampires movie because it's perfect for right now. Well, I'm married 34 years. <laughs> got four boys, all grown, buried one a year ago. You know, so recovering from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or is it all work? It's well, it uh, it's what, raising children? I don't know. Do you have any hobbies outside of oh, home work and stuff like that? Netflix. Netflix is a hobby. That's a hobby. My day starts off at like five forty five AM and I try to get all my work done early parts of the day. You know. Uh, the energy and the strength is more manifested during the early time of the day. So I love watching the sun come up, so I always beat it. You know? Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. But I found, I don't know, this is strange, esoterical, but we're, um, we're connected, you know what I mean? So when the sun goes down, you get tired, you go to sleep. So it's like, well, when the sun comes up, I must be wanting to get up. And I found as I got older, my body is waking up earlier. So I go to the phone instead of fighting it. And unfortunately, I'm in dead sleep. I <laughs> But I get a lot done. I've always subscribers and I found one of them. try to, but they, you have to have the interest and the spark, you know, um, and none of them do. I mean, they all pursued separate careers of other things, so, you know, and I didn't try to force it, nor did I feel. My wife felt, you know, it's like, why aren't any of them drawing? And it's like, why haven't any of them learned to cook? <laughs> I mean, I'm learning to cook. I love to cook, you know, but they don't have an interest in it. That's why, you know, so they pick up an interest and you know it took me forever to teach my son to make something more than mac and cheese and hot dogs it's like the oven's your friend you can bake things in there it's really good but I didn't want to put the effort in you know so I love days that I don't, I get itchy and I want to draw something, so I'm being driven, you know, so it's something screwy up here. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to your younger self as he was just starting out, what would you say to him? Um, hmm. Go to school. Go to school first. Get a degree first. You're too anxious to want to get out the gate. You know, don't be a one race horse. Go to school. That's why we don't. Because that's honest. That's why I tell all the students today. I tell the moms that brings their kids' work up to my table, and they show good work. And kids like maybe ten or eleven. It's like, get them books. You know, uh, if you've got a used 
book, a college used bookstore near you, go buy that 10-year-old those books and have them do the exercises that are in the books because it's all the structured, all traditional, basic uh, training and methods. You know, so get him started now. You know, if he likes to draw, like here's a book on figure drawing, and here's a book on landscape. Talks about direction of light and stuff. Getting used to that now, you know. So that by the time he gets out of high school, he'll have a grasp of what they're wanting from. That's what I would tell him, and that's what I would tell myself. Absolutely. I mean, I can't stress more um, the fact that those that went before us learned it, wrote it down for a reason. You know, and don't think that. I don't want to be influenced by it. I want to develop my own style because you're just tying your hands up in knots by doing that. You know, don't let the, your ego get in the way. And I see that a lot you know, with students coming out, uh, both positively and negatively. You know, I've had students come in and said, I get A's every course. I'm going to get an A in here. It's like, it's your first year of college. I may have worked with you in high school, but here you've got to work. Okay, so I hope you earn that A. You, know? you find that artists uh, really have like an ego, but if you give criticism, to a lot of them take it the wrong way. Like, you have to kind of fight through that? Or? Yeah, but I think it's just a natural instinct to react to criticism with defense. You know, it's like, well... I did it this way because, you know, or maybe you don't understand what I'm trying to do, you know, and uh, my response is, if I'm not understanding that you didn't do it, you know, it's, you know, but criticism, I've never had any trouble taking criticism, okay, but I know what you mean, you know, I've seen it out there and I've run into it even on the conventional boards and whatnot, so, um, but that's a deeper thing, I honestly think. You know, it's, you can't take criticism on your art. There's other things in your life you have difficulty taking critiques on, too. You know, so. But I'm an old man. What do I know? <laughs> you know. Um, I are you still keeping up with reading comics in all these days? No. <laughs> no, there's not one book out there that I was reading that I have any interest in following right now. Um, I'm just more interested in uh, telling a good story and putting that out there, you know, uh, drawing a good story. Uh, even when I do convention sketches here, guys, you know, it's like the sketches will outlive me, you know, and my name's on it. So I don't want anybody to see a shitty sketch with my name on it. You know, so, I, so why do you put so much detail on your sketches? It's because it's going to outlast me. Hopefully. You know? Especially not now with the internet. Uh, yeah. So I was going to just you know, do the best you can you know, for the day you are. You know? Be satisfied with it. Hell, I took a fall at my table. I almost wasn't able to come in here today. Yeah, I got stood up and got my feet tangled up. Next thing I know, I'm hitting the ice. And I mean, I hit it hard, like bounced on cement. Oof. Now my wife's looking at me, what's wrong with you? No, pulled up or did you trip me? You know, it's one or the other. We have that kind of relationship. We can mess with each other. We've been messing with each other for a long time. We know how to play with each other. Well, that's a good marriage right there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a good marriage. She's my third wife, but this one worked. <laughs> you know, never give up. So. Um, any more questions? I guess as basic generico as it gets. First comic you read, first character, favorite character. Ant-Man? Which one? Number one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have been there when Marvel started all this stuff. You know, and uh, 
I had every one of them up until I was in junior high school. And my mom tossed them out because I didn't clean my room and my mom was real strict raising three boys on her own. So, but I got my revenge. Well, my mom loved it. She, she would live with the boys. She'd come stay with us for a while. And suddenly you'd hear on the news that uh, this comic book sold for $175,000. It's like, hey, Ma! <laughs> oh, I had that. <laughs> you threw away your retirement. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was able to play with mom like that. I did. Uh, actually, you know, with four boys, my wife made it a project to uh, gather together a copy of everything for each boy. So I had a storehouse just full of boxes for each one. And it got sold. You know, they broke into it. People recognize comic book boxes, and they're in the storage unit. They'll knock that lock off and walk out of it. Um, I've been trying to rebuild it, but it's just difficult to do. And now we got grandchildren. It's like, hey, baby, let's rethink this. Because <laughs> you know, we have four grandchildren now. It's like, good luck trying to find enough, you know. But um, I don't know. Even the grandchildren, uh, we send them stuff, give them stuff. Um, but as they've gotten older, like for them, comics have fallen to the side. You know, the video games and tattoos is what they're interested in. I think the next panel is waiting to get in here, so I just want to say it was great being here, and it was very nice meeting you. And thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening. To hear more We Got the Geek, check us out at www.wegotthegeek.com and on iTunes.